at times you'll have to to bear with me because we may chase some some rabbits here and there or i guess we're going to be in the wilderness so we're probably chasing lizards i don't know i don't know what really lives a whole lot in the well i don't want to say we're chasing jackals and wolves and coyotes but we might be i mean that could be fun but part one that we went over last time was what's in a name and the the importance and the emphasis that that God put on names in the early parts of Exodus when he took us through genealogies and and then the importance of names kind of disappeared at the beginning of Moses' story and then the emphasis came back and and it's not an accident that God did that because God was about to reveal his name and and that's what we're going to look at this morning is God reveals his name, a name to all generations. And we're going to pick up at the end of Exodus chapter 2. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery. That's tough after that movie. Sorry came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham with Isaac and with Jacob and God saw the people of Israel and God knew it's this is one of those frustrating moments in Exodus I told you I had some of those in Genesis the this came up here God remembered his covenant it almost implies that God forgot, which is not at all the case here. God remembered the time stamp that he put on the slavery and the time that Israel's ancestors would be in Egypt. That, that's not implying God forgot, because I promise you, God, the only thing God has said he is capable of forgetting is your sin. That's the only thing that you can scripturally back up that God forgot. Now, the other thing that we'll struggle with is, is we've been trained through science and everything else to try and put everything on timelines and in structures. And we'll talk about this a little bit next week, that God doesn't care about time. God uses time for us because our minds are unable to comprehend that God exists outside of time. And he's going to reveal that today. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The other thing I struggle with, were all these places named when Moses was actually there? Or did Moses give these places names afterwards? And we won't know. Until I get up there and get to talk to Moses as a geog geography guy, I won't know. Hey, were, were those actually called that before you went there? Or are these names they were known by after the Exodus? But Moses' name, again, we, we learned meant drawn or drawn out of. 
Jethro's name means his abundance. Midian means strife. And God in this verse is Elohim. Remember what we talked about last week, if you weren't, or two weeks ago, if you weren't here, Elohim is shows up over and over throughout Genesis. And the other derivative of Elohim is El Shaddai. And Elohim is the powerful one, the authority, the judge. And when you combine it with Shaddai, which is not a Hebrew word, it's actually a Hebrew phrasing, the powerful one who says when it's enough is El Shaddai. And Horeb literally means desert. The mountain of God is named desert or wilderness. And the angel of the Lord, first time we're going to see the Lord in all caps. Okay, we'll talk about that too. Appeared to him in the flame of fire out of the midst of the bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. That, that first phrase in that verse, the angel of the Lord, every time you see that in the Old Testament, it is not talking, if it says in all caps, the angel of the Lord, it is not talking about an angel. It is talking about the Lord himself. And there is lots and lots of proof of that. That is the phrasing when, when Jacob wrestled with a man, the, the same type of phrasing shows up in the Hebrew. And the angel of the Lord, or a man whose resemblance was of the Lord. And you're going to see over and over that God shows up personally throughout the Old Testament. And I, I think we struggle sometimes because we don't think God's that personal. He really is. But Lord in all caps is Jehovah or Yehovah. And Yehovah translates the existing one. is really really cool we're going to get to a lot of cool stuff today and, and i'm sorry if i'm nerding out on the hebrew but it's it's going to be a lot of fun today and moses said i will turn aside to this great site why the bush is not burned and when the lord when yehovah saw that he turned aside to see god he called to him out of the bush moses moses and he said, here am I. Which that cry comes in the Old Testament a lot. The here am I, which means I'm giving my full attention to this moment. I'm here. Tell me what to do. You have my attention. And then he said, this is talking about the Lord. Do not come near. Take, off, take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God the Elohim. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. I find it interesting, again, in Moses' story, he doesn't name his father. Moses is believed to be the writer of Exodus, and he doesn't name his earthly father over and over and over it happens and i have theories on that but i don't have facts so we won't chase that rabbit 
But it says he was afraid to look at God. He was afraid to look at Elohim. And, and that phrase just kept hitting me as I was preparing for this message. How many times are we genuinely almost afraid to pick up the Word of God? Because that is one of the ways we can see God is to read His Word. How many times are we, just like Moses, we're afraid to look at God? Because you know what? If I open the Word of God and I begin to read and see who God calls me to be, I'm going to be confronted with how much I fall short. And nobody I know likes to be told they're messing up or that they're wrong. I have yet to meet anyone who just relishes being wrong. Okay? Denise tells me I'm right all the time and I tell her it's a terrible burden. And and she always laughs at that joke, so I can say it from up here. But, but when I look in the Word of God, I realize how wrong I am on so many levels. And there's times, as your pastor, I'm afraid, just like Moses, to look at the face of God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and any other parasites that aren't listed. Okay, no, that's an addition. you you got to follow along in the Word or you're going to get something funny. But looking at this, and, and this is something that if, if you don't take anything else out of today's message, I want you to get this about God. Because we understand God to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God saw the affliction of the children of Israel. He still sees the affliction of His children today. And I, I want you to understand that when you watch the news, when you see all the, the horrible things going on in our society, you need to take a deep breath and realize all of those people are no different than you and I except for the blood of Jesus. Those are all sons and daughters of God that have yet to accept their adoption. And they're in affliction. We look at them and, and we make our judgmental thoughts. Of their, oh, they're so messed up. They're sick. They're this. They're that. No, they're afflicted. God sees them. Just like He saw you. Just like He saw me. God hears the cry. They're screaming out from their affliction and it comes out sounding like something like that repulses something in our spirit because it's not lining up with the Word of God. But they don't know how to cry out to God because they're lost in their sin. Their cry for, and I'll just call some of them by name, their cry for equality, their cry for acceptance, is really a cry from the midst of their affliction. 
They don't understand that there's a God who loves them perfectly and made them perfectly in His image. And that if they would cry out to Him, that He would come into the midst of their affliction and sit with them. That He would come and He would reveal Himself in a true and a powerful way to them. But they'll never know that until we start reaching out with hands of love and words of love. Does that mean we don't call sin, sin? No. Sin is still going to be sin, but you don't have to slap people in the face with it. No one wants hit in the face with a fish. If you're going to give them loaves and fishes, Jesus never hit anybody in the face with them. God knows the suffering. There's times that even people who know God forget that God knows their suffering. God knows when you get that bad diagnosis. God knows when it keeps you up at night and you're afraid. God knows the things that break your heart. And this is where it gets exciting. He has come down. He's come down. And what does the next thing in the Scripture say? To deliver. And to bring them up to His promised land. Why did Jesus come down to this earth? Why did He come down? To remind people who the Father was, is, and always will be. He came down to deliver us. If that doesn't get you a little excited this morning, I don't know what does. Because He came down to offer us a way to a promised land that we, we had no access to before. You understand that prior to Jesus dying on the cross, the only person who got to physically stand in the presence of God after a lot of these moments in Exodus, the only person that got to stand physically in the presence of God were a few prophets and the high priest. Until Jesus walked this earth, you didn't get to stand physically in the presence of God. And God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wipe out all of that because when Jesus dies on the cross, I'm going to tear the veil from top to bottom and that's the sign that I'm coming to be present with you. I'm not saying you got to come be present with me. Once you open the door, I will come in and make my dwelling with you. A lot of Christians got this wrong. They're all wanting to be excited and go live in God's house. I want God to live in mine first. Because then... When I go to live in His, I'll sure appreciate it because I already know the master of the house. I don't give two beans about streets of gold. I just want to know the guy that lives there. I want him calling me by name and I want to call him by name. And I'm telling you, I'll scream my head off in heaven. I don't do it often enough on earth, but I'll do it in heaven. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come and I will send you to Pharaoh 
that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now here's the, the tough part for us this morning is God is reaching out to us and saying, I've seen the oppression of these people that you walk amongst every day. The Pharaoh of their life needs to be spoken to. And a lot of them, the Pharaoh of their life is their own ego. And they need somebody that's going to love them enough to look them in the eye and tell them the truth. That's tough. Does God still hear the cry? You betcha. Until every soul has had the opportunity to hear the gospel, God's not going to wrap the thing up. He says that clearly in his book, that the gospel will go to all nations. That's one of the things that has to happen before Jesus returns. Which makes me irritated with church people. Can, can I say that? I'm a church people too. If we know Jesus isn't coming back until everyone has been presented with the gospel, why aren't we presenting the gospel? Is there anything in this life we're holding on to so tight we don't want to go share the gospel? I mean, I'm ready for heaven or, as, or the new earth or whatever in Revelation. I don't fully understand all that. I just know I'm going to get to be with Jesus. Physically get to be with Jesus. I can't wait for that. And the only way that's going to happen faster, which doesn't exist in God's time either, faster is if we share the gospel. But does God still hear the cry? And I'll tell you, God was still hearing the cry in the days of Paul because listen to this in Romans chapter 8. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we, as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Does God still hear that cry? You bet you, because we're still making it. But preacher, I'm saved. Are you not longing for heaven? Roll out of bed tomorrow morning and see how much snap, crackle, and pop hits before you put them in the cereal bowl. Your body's going to waste away. We, we want to prevent that as long as we can by being a good steward of it, but it's still going to waste away. We're groaning. Creation is groaning for God to come reset it. This time it won't be with a flood. So if you've been worried about that with all the rain, praise the Lord, that ain't happening. We won't talk about fire, but it's coming. But God still hears that cry. And Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And this is the struggle we all have. Who am I that I should go talk to that person? 
Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you and this shall be a sign that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will serve God on this mountain. Now, can we take a short road here? I don't know if I'm Moses, if I'm all that excited about that, because what was this mountain's name? The desert. God wants me to serve in the desert? Now, for the free advertisement for later in this series, we're going to learn lessons from the desert that will change the way you serve God. It will be exciting to you to think, God, you got me in a desert season. I'm going to learn something in the desert. I'm not just going to go out there and get hot and be miserable. I'm here to learn something. And then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Notice the language there. The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Okay, all along, I'm going to tell you that Moses is struggling with identity, which speaks deeply to me because we live in a world full of people struggling with identity. And at times, if we're really blunt, honest, we struggle with our own identity of whether or not I really am who God says I am. If I go and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say, what is, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Get ready for the nerd to come out. Here he is. I am that I am. I am that I am is the common English translation of the Hebrew phrase, Ayah Hashur Hayah, which is also I am that I am. But in Hebrew, words have deeper meaning. They can go multiple directions. So it can be, I will become what I choose to become. I am what I am. I will be what I will be. I create whatever I want to create, or simply, I am the existing one. I heard one preacher say one time, that was God's way of saying, it's none of your business who I am. Which, if God wants to say that to somebody, he could, but I don't think that's what he said at all. I think he said that last phrase, I am the existing one. Because what's the whole rest of Exodus, what's it going to look like? It's going to be God tearing down the, the power structure of false gods. He's going to be in direct clash with a culture of gods to show that I am the existing one. That the power that you've given them came solely from you surrendering your will, mind, and emotions to that thought. But God wasn't done. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, 
the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. The Lord, what did we say Lord in all caps was earlier? Jehovah, Yehovah. But there's one more translation of it that, that is, the, these words are interchangeable. Jehovah became the speakable name of God so that Israel could have a name to call God, but the unspeakable name of God is Yahweh. For God to have a name that was so holy that His people couldn't speak it, that it was only spoken one time a year, by the high priest. How powerful is that name? This is where we really nerd out on the Hebrew, and if you're not into this, that's okay. But people tried to figure out why God would give a name that is, that is so hard to pronounce. And, and the name, if you broke it down into different groupings of, of what they call family groupings in Hebrew, the, the first grouping you run into would say is or exists. And the next grouping you could look at is was. And the last grouping, and it's a little tough to get those there, but they're really there, is will be. And when you take them and you stack them on top of each other, you get the, the word Yahweh. Because I am, I was, I always will be Yahweh. But as, as I, I dug a little deeper into the language and got full-blown nerd at this point. In Hebrew, vowel sounds are made where you put a breath in a word. You don't use vowels. And, and I tried this with Jovi last night. <laughs> She's already smiling and laughing about it because God determined before time that all of creation would know His name. So, this is one where you're going to have to close your eyes and keep your ears open. Don't fall asleep. Take a deep breath in and listen to the sound of your breath as it comes in and tell me it doesn't make a yaw sound. And when you blow your breath out, that it doesn't make a way. God put his name into our very design so that every person who bore his image would constantly be saying his name. You think every knee will bow and every tongue will confess is something solely reserved for Jesus at the end of days? God's been doing it since day one. Yeah. 
actually day six, but let's not be too picky. The other thing about that that got me excited is God is always right there. He's closer than the breath I breathe because he put his very signature on my breath. You can't tell me that God doesn't care about you. What's really bad is this is this breathing also encourages you not to be so much of a mouth breather because you really get the yaw sound through your nose. And when you exhale through your mouth, it's easier to get away. But the breath you breathe was God putting his name on your lips forever. And God finished, and we're going to wrap up just how powerful it is that this is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. How could God guarantee that? He put it there. He put it right there. And that's how close he longs to be to us, is as close as the very air we breathe. So what do we do with that? that that's the struggle I ran into, because this is where God said, this is it for this week. And I was a little disappointed, because we're about to get to the, the really cool stuff that I'd always overlooked. I didn't realize that, you know, God is a God who will lay out threats for his people. And he's not the kind of guy that makes a threat and doesn't back it up. So if you like the, the tough guy movies and westerns and things, next week's going to be for you. But the, the gentle fatherly nature of God. They'd known him as Elohim the powerful one, the authority, the judge. And God's revealing to them that I'm as gentle as the air you're breathing. Yes, I'm all powerful. I'm all, I'm all those things that I was to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. But what I want to be remembered for all time is that gentle father who loves his children. And that's hard, to, that's hard to share with our world today because there's so many dads out there messing it up. It really is. I mean, there, there's more father wounds than any other psychological wound in society. The absence of the father, a lot of times the abuse of the father, neglect of the father, And yet God loved us enough that the name he wanted to be remembered by speaks to him as a father. My encouragement to you this week is when you take time to pray, just stop for a few minutes before and take in that deep breath 
and let it out. Take in that deep breath and let it out. It'll be good for your lungs, but it's also really good to help you remember that you're about to talk to a father who loves you more than anything in the universe. In all of creation, you're the one thing that got to know him, that got to be made in his image, that was worthy of him sacrificing his son on the cross and giving you the hope of a resurrection when Jesus rose from the dead. Heavenly Father, thank you.